Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me is a man that's not afraid to travel four and a half hours round trip to support the local team, our producer, Mason. How are you doing today, Mason? Oh, I'm just great. Yeah, you know, absolutely happy to go support the team, and when there's beer involved, I'm even more happy. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, we're both located in Southern Illinois, and joining us in West County, West St. Louis County, is our co-host Sean Campbell, a man who is not afraid to sport eight different scarves out on a chilly evening. How are you doing today, Sean Campbell? It was nine, and yes, it was worth it. I did not have to use them as sleeves, though, as we thought I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> we had some second shift brewer, uh, brewing uh, beers to keep us warm that evening. That was a lot of fun. We'll get into that. That was with the St. Louisans uh, Full Kit Wanker Party and Meet and Greet uh, at Second Ship Brewery in St. Louis this past Saturday night. We'll have a we'll give a little discussion on that as we go forward. This is our seventeenth episode of our little infant podcast. We're progressing into a toddler. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or podcast your choice. And also. Rate and review the show. It really helps us out a lot. And we're really glad that you are listening to us. We do have some St. Louis City news to go over. As we mentioned, the uh, St. Luligans party. We've also got to talk a little bit about the World Cup qualifying for the U.S. Men's National Team. And a crazy, crazy weekend in MLS this past week. So we'll cover all that. But first of all, we want to start off with the home team. St. Louis City SC supporter section season ticket window did open today, and I believe it opened at noon. A lot of uh, people we know on Twitter have already gotten their season tickets. We decided to move from uh, the reserve seating section to supporter section. Our window is not till 2 p.m. tomorrow, even though there's, what, about 3,000, 2,500 seats in that uh we're sweating out whether we're actually going to get two spots in that window for, between the three of us for that section. We'll find out tomorrow afternoon after this podcast drops. We are recording on Tuesday night as usual, and uh, this will be out on Wednesday just to give you a timeline on what to expect. Yeah, so for you listening, it opened yesterday. Yes, and uh, did find out today on Tuesday that... Uh, some people that put in for reserve seatings did get their phone call from the ticket office for the club uh, telling them that they've not forgotten that window will open. They'll be getting more information soon. That was planned and what they plan to do on this. So that's very exciting. You know, we're still a year and a half away almost till the start of the season and already supporters sections filling up, the clubs selling tickets. The academy's up and running. Uh, there's a lot of things going on with the club already. It's just going to grow and grow and grow. And we're very excited about it. This is what we were all waiting for. That's why we're here. Also, uh, this weekend, the uh, with the academy, the U16s had the week off, but the U17s were playing again in MLS Next. And they were playing against the vaunted FC Dallas Academy, the ones that have put out the likes of Weston McKinney, who was in that academy. Ricardo Pepe, Kellen Acosta, the list goes on and on and on. Well, U-17s jumped out to an early 4-0 lead and won 4-2 to maintain a perfect home record in MLS. Uh, MLS next, I should say, uh, which is great for Academy that just started right before the season started. 
they're uh, exciting. This is exciting news. It's good for the future of the club. Yeah, I don't know what their official record is. I know that they've had a little bit of a rough stint on the road, but a perfect record at home. Or is it a perfect record? Or is it perfect just... record at home. Well, that's great. Yeah, um, that's really exciting. And it is the uh, first game of a four-game homestand for the uh, U-17s in MLS Next Play. And uh, looking forward to that. Matter of fact, on November 13th, is it a home game or an away game? But they are going to be playing St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Uh, and I believe it is classified as an away game, but in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We're making tentative plans to be there for that academy game, depending upon how things go. Because life always gets in the way if it can. We know how that goes. Yeah, not a lot of information on that right now, but I believe that's an away game. And so I believe it will be at Soccer Park in Fenton. So it would be, I would like to go to that. I haven't been to Soccer Park in years. I'd like to go back. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. And we encourage everyone out there listening uh, to show up for that game, whether we go or not. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps if uh, we tell you we can't make it, you'll be more inclined to go. (laughs) (laughs) I won't say that. But some of you, and we met you this Saturday night, uh, you might be inclined after meeting us to say the same. (laughs) In other St. Louis City news, uh, there's a podcast out there done by Dan Sweeney. He's a professor at uh, Lindenwood University, and he was also the St. Louis FC stadium announcer for years. He has his own podcast about professional development called At The Wire. And uh, this past episode had Dennis Moore, the chief revenue officer for St. Louis City SC, and a couple of things we wanted to hit on information from that. First of all, give you a little background. Dennis Moore does have a background in the NFL rather than in soccer, so he's learning a whole new thing that's going on. But he does come from an environment. Uh, His last job was with the Denver Broncos front office. So it's an environment to where getting sponsorship out and maximizing revenue for the club is a really big world-class deal. That's an exciting hire. Just uh, don't want to go too much into it. Uh, He did say that there's more announcements to come from his office. Apparently, sponsorships are getting really lined up for the club, but they're going to be coming out in their own distinct window which makes sense from a marketing standpoint. You want to give every sponsor a chance to enjoy the announcement. Also, it might include naming rights. We're not sure. That's a thought that's out there that was in my head as something that could be important that that's lined up already. Apparently, there is good investment and support within the St. Louis business community, which is something that any club that starts out as an expansion team needs to have to survive. And it seems like a this delay of a year because of the COVID uh, restrictions put upon that the club agreed to has been very helpful in getting all of this lined up. One other uh, big mention in this was that uh, the kits for St. Louis uh, City SC, uh, they won't be available until probably October of next year. So a year from now, a lot of that has to do with Adidas and their windows to get out kits may also have to be with uh, a longer timeline to get it developed because maybe uh, St. Louis SC wants their own design for the kit rather than going off a template. That's a nice touch. And uh, there was some a lot of other information. I will uh, give a hat tip to 
the City SC Report podcast that covered this extensively. Uh, also, you can do At The Wire with Dan Sweetie. At The Wire, it's a sports business podcast. I found it on a Google podcast out there. So I want to give that out to them. Do recommend if you want to know more about this, uh, what he had to say, but in a boiled down uh, method, go ahead and listen to the City SC Report podcast. Uh, they do a very good job of uh, podcasting. They're one of the core group for St. Louis City Podcasts, and we listen to them you know, all the time, and we support everybody that uh, is supporting the home club, as you can imagine. Speaking of the home club and supporting, uh, the St. Luligans, the supporters group that's been around for years, uh, did have a party this past weekend, Second Ship Brewing in St. Louis, it was their full kit wanker party that they've been having for years. They also use as a meet and greet for people coming into it. Uh, all three of us went, and we had a heck of a good time. Yeah, I feel like I'm still recovering a little bit from it. <laughs> it's a heck of a good time. A lot of uh, people there that we've known. This is our third or fourth event that we've been traveled up for Mason and I. It's a good two-hour drive to get up there. And uh, even for Sean out in West County, it's about 45 minutes. So it's a travel to get to these, but we always meet friends and we meet new friends and interesting people. And it's all for a common cause. And everybody's there to talk to us. Got to meet some folks with the club, especially Caleb Leong in charge of uh, ticketing and especially supporter group ticketing. Uh, John, the photographer. There were so many people Dan I met something. Uh, Dan, excuse me. And, uh, Anyone else? Anybody remembers? There are so many names. <laughs> I believe it was Shane and his his lovely wife that were uh, also sporting KC fans. Shout out to you guys if you're listening. Yeah, um, and then uh, Kevin M and uh, and St. Louis Stars Ryan, friends of the show, got to got to see them in person. Shout out to you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's anybody else that's a regular listener that was there and we didn't meet you, catch you on the next one. We can't wait. Can't wait to. Hit meet any and all of our, you know, voluminous amount of listeners out there. <laughs> if you, if and when you do meet us, feel free to give me all the crap you want, because I got plenty of it, and it was totally, <laughs> it was all in good fun, so I'm okay with it. It's, it's almost like you, it's almost like you signed up for it. <laughs> mm, more like dragged into it, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> What's the difference, really? But it was a very good time. And uh, they raised over $400, I believe, was the amount that the Luligans said uh, for charity between the raffle, uh, the charity du jour, uh, just general donations. That's exciting. That's just from one event. And this gets poured into the community. And how does it get poured into the community? Well, one way, especially for all of you in the St. Louis area, this coming Saturday, starting at 9 a.m. and going on for a while, uh, they're organizing a way to clean up Marquette Park, which is where the St. Louis City uh, new futsal park uh, fields are. So they're going to go out and clean up that park and do a little bit of uh, giving back to the community that way. Mm-hmm. Same as uh, like with the thieves, they uh, were doing bagging for uh, um, to distribute amongst uh, um, houseless individuals. Um, last week, I think they actually did that before the, uh, the event at second shift. Um, but yeah, they, 
they do a lot of great work through the charity du jour, um, through money that they raise, uh, that they give back to. We say this every time we talk about the Luligans, but they really do great work in in the community at large, not just with soccer. It's yeah. really it's really commendable. And if you haven't been to one and you do go out, be sure to meet especially Mitch, Brad, and Sarah. They're a driving force of this. Had a very nice conversation that it was uh, privy to uh, with Brad from the St. Luligans about how they started way back in the day, 11 years ago, before I had even moved back to the Midwest. At this point, all the iterations of clubs in St. Louis that they have supported and followed and how that started. I found that fascinating, and I wanted to thank him for sharing all that, taking time out of a pretty busy night for them all to share that with us. I can't stress enough how friendly and how fun this group is, and everyone's in a common cause. It was, and a uh, hat tip to uh, Second Ship Brewery taking care of us. They did uh, develop their own beer for the city uh, with a prickly pear flavor. We had a preview little tiny keg for us all to share. It was quite tasty. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, on top of just the regular Brulegans brew- that they've been doing in collaboration with the Luligans for quite a while, um, yeah, they've done several iterations of that. This one they did in the Kaida City Pink with the prickly pear. It was very tasty. Um, and I think I drank too much beer, <laughs> but <laughs> that's to be expected, right? <laughs> well, did you drink too much or just enough? Not too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drank just enough. How about you, Sean? Oh, I, uh, I was right on that, right on that you know, that line. I had, I had fun. I didn't feel like I was, you know, too stumbly bumbly as we used to call it in college, but, uh, it was a great time. And then what was the name of that place that we all went to for the after, after drinks? Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have to look that one up because I want to go back there. It was, it seemed like a nice place as well. And there was a few of us that went after the, uh, the initial party. We stayed for a short while. Then we had to, come back home uh but that was great fun really i can't stress how much how friendly and how much fun we really had at that show yeah you know an event's going well when you get invited to the after party (laughs) especially if you're if you're a you know sporting kc fan getting invited to the city sc after party (laughs) yeah you were behind enemy lines (laughs) Uh, but you're gonna be frenemy lines we'll call them you're gonna be yeah you're gonna be a city supporter Full on, except the few occasions where they play sporting Kansas City. And as we met a couple of people that had the same situation, they wanted to follow soccer in the area. St. Louis didn't, you know, leadership didn't get their act together to actually get the organization up and running. So you turn to another club. Uh, so you follow them. That's who you start with. But uh, when the team comes to the hometown, you follow them. Yeah. One thing I want to know is or want to note is you're not talking about the current ownership group. You're talking about the previous attempt. Yes. All the previous attempts since really the beginning of MLS, because MLS wanted somebody to step up in St. Louis to be one of the original clubs in MLS. The St. Louis was always targeted as a city that must be in MLS. And to have it take this long is unfortunate, let's say. Mm hmm. But let's not get too bogged down in local politics, because I could go on about the last bid for a while. But You could have your own podcast about that one. So now we move on to our 
U.S. men's national team that uh, a little less than a week ago finalized World Cup qualifying window two, game number six against Costa Rica. A little controversy at the start as coach Greg Berhalter decided to start Zach Steffen, the former starter who plays for Manchester City in a reserve role, over Matt Turner, who's been doing an excellent job so far during World Cup qualifying for the men's national team. And uh, that caused a ruckus on Twitter. Of course, everybody's up in arms, even though Stefan is an accomplished goaltender that's done pretty well for the U.S. for years now. And uh, starting off, well, it wasn't a good sign for the men's national team, or for Stefan, for that matter. Though I will posit that it was not his fault, anything that happened. But I believe it is in the second minute of the game. Costa Rica gets the ball on the break. They get it down the line. Des can't catch up. They get a cross in the middle. First of all, it starts when, I didn't mention this, Stefan had to step out because there was danger building, so he makes a header. It wasn't a great header, but he got it up in the air out of trouble. Got back into trouble. They get a cross in the box. There's no coverage. There's a man standing in front of the net. Stefan's kind of frozen, little unsighted. And Costa Rica scores two minutes into the match. I wouldn't even say a little unsighted. He was completely screened. Yeah, and he also had to watch, uh, I forget who his name is, but there was another player standing on the sideline, so he had to protect against the cross. So he's kind of out in no man's land on that. Just no big mistakes on this. Just a whole bunch of little ones. Uh, the one that was there interfering with Stefan covering that kick, he was kept on side because Dest went out of bounds when he was chasing down the runner in the corner, was a little slow getting back, so he kept him on side. It was just a, just a lot of a death by a thousand little nicks, basically, on that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and of course, worry went up in the crowd at that point, but it didn't for the team. Immediately, they... Maybe a little bit to get into the game, but right away just started putting pressure on Costa Rica. A lot of what we wanted to see, a lot of movement, a lot of passes, a lot of decisive, divisive plays through the defense. Everything we wanted to see, and they kept putting pressure on and pressure on and pressure on. Uh, They answered it very well in that game. Yeah. I don't know how long it actually was, but there was a stretch that felt like 15 minutes where they held pressure in Costa Rica's half. Or not pressure, but possession. It was at least 10. It was at least 10. I've got my minute-by-minute notes up, and it was right about uh, the 10th or 11th minute. They started. They got up their first real chance, and then right up until 25th, that was about when it settled in. So, Yeah. I, it, it, you can't ask for a much better response than that, aside from what we got. And then, uh, Sean, you got your notes there. Uh, really, the Probably the most important play of the game was the equalizer by Serginio Dest. What minute was that in, Sean? That was in the 25th minute. So gets the ball on sort of the right side of the box, cuts it in on his left foot, his weaker foot, finds a gap. Weston McKinney made a little run to help open up that gap, and he just unleashes a laser into the uh, top far post on that. Kaylor Navas, one of the best goalkeepers in the world, had no chance. And then it 
was found out later that Dest, his shoe was untied on that left foot, his weaker foot, when he put that <laughs> shot in. Oh, it, that's fantastic. It was a rocket. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why it kind of like did a little half corkscrew because it started curving towards the net, then curved back out into the, into the, you know, side netting of it. Yeah. He kicked it a two, just, he kicked a two seamer. I believe <laughs> the term is Golazo. Golazo. Go. Oh man. It was a, it, it, uh, Really changed the game. It settled things. We're back to zero. The U.S. had the pressure. They couldn't find the one. They get the chance. And it's just their their level of talent uh, showing there. Uh, their youth showed in the buildups to where they couldn't quite get that shot on goal in some ways. And Costa Rica is a very old and, as we found out later in the game, very slow team. Uh, but they're wily and they played a lot of games together. And they were they were all right on defense, but the U.S. was moving, and like we saw against Canada, they're moving it around side to side. They're making them work. They're making them stretch exactly what you wanted to do. And we saw that. I did have a note um, at my, my halftime section where I had thoughts over the half as a whole. Well, as a half, really. But uh, I had in there, um, is, is this what verticality looks like? Like... Because that you, it wasn't just moving it back and forth. It we we had that right wing, absolutely hammered down, for you know basically the entire half. After you know the first ten minutes, and we settled in, it was all up and down that half. It was running at defenders. It was overlaps. It was great passes and then balls in. I can't say enough great things about that right side. It was fantastic. Yeah, that that is exactly what I believe that Burhalter. Berhalter was talking about verticality is don't just run it around the top of the box like they did against Canada. Get in there, make runs, try to pass the ball in, get it deep, do that. Uh, maybe a lot of people didn't understand it. Maybe the opponents didn't understand it. It wasn't so much vertical as it just was intensive pressure, trying to get the ball in the middle, get it back outside, wingers pinching in the classic Burhalter system that we watched for years with Columbus crew, uh, which was quite successful. And, uh, they finally got, they're starting to gel together as a team. Uh, and we kind of saw it in this game where the passes weren't wild or off on somebody, or some of them were behind some ru good runs weren't seen, uh, but they'll see that on tape. What this team needs, they're so young and they haven't played together, is they need to play together. They need to pick up on the other runs. They need the time, like the savvy teams like Panama and Costa Rica and upcoming Mexico have. They know where the other guy's going to be. This team doesn't quite have that understanding yet. And there's no other way to get that than to play games. Right, right. Um, it's it's going to happen in this next window more than likely that we're going to see the the U.S. men's team proper, and they're gonna they're finally going to get it. And I I yeah, hot take we get six points in this next window. We got Mexico at home. We've got Jamaica away, but Jamaica's kind of a lame duck at the moment. A hot take we're getting six points in this next window. That is a hot take because Gio Reyna wasn't here, Kristen. Pulisic was not there for the second window. Reyna's already ruled out for the third window. And Pulisic, Thomas Tuchel of Chelsea, still talked about it. He's still bothered. He's getting setbacks by that ankle. 
as Tuchel did say, uh, he's frustrated, but he goes quick movement players like Pulisic, when they have pain, when they make those cuts, you just shut them down. They have to heal because without the quick movement, that's what his game is. And there's questions now, if he comes, will he be able to play in the window? And if he does, what's his fitness going to be? Is he going to be limited in his fitness? And the first game in the next window is Mexico. Well, here's my hot take. Do we need Pulisic? What? Wait, what did you say? He said, do we need Pulisic? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I heard (laughs) that properly uh, because I'm on your side on this one. I think the smart move is to leave him out next window. Honestly, just 100%. Just make sure he gets the full fitness before he br- we bring him back to camp. Before we get into the next window, let's go ahead and wrap this up. Kaylor Navas, the all-world goalkeeper of Costa Rica, hurt himself in the first half, didn't come in, in the second half. The U.S. kept the pressure on. Timothy Weah gets a ball near the box, puts in a scorcher. Just, <laughs> scorcher, yeah. Just strikes the hell out of the ball. And... uh Goalkeeper hits it off the off the post, off the goalkeeper, in the net. It's ruled an own goal, but Weah just smacked the hell out of it and forced him into it. And the U.S. just cruised from there on out. Were nice, pragmatic, pragmatic. If they needed another goal, it seemed like it was there. But at this point, they closed down the game. Uh, Costa, one hilarious moment from the game is the Costa Rican great Brian Ruiz, who's been so good for so long, very smart, picks off Miles Robinson's pass. He's on for a breakaway. Great play until yeah. he just gets run down. <laughs> He's just so slow that Robinson recovers and actually tracks him down before he ever gets in the 18-yard box and takes the ball away. Strips it, and then he's just, he's just standing there, and he's he just, just standing there like, ah, well, I tried. I'm tired now. <laughs> and Brian Ruiz has been so good for so long. Such a thorn in the U.S. side. He also incredibly smart play to sort of hide and pick up that pass. But then his age showed and Costa Rica has kind of been living on their golden generation that is now past their prime. And they're not a force in CONCACAF in this window. But to make a long story short, U.S. won the game 2-1. They played very well. If they needed another goal... I think everybody watching could have seen it. For Sean's benefit, they did make a substitution late in the game with a certain midfielder who looked really, really good in Gianluca Busio. Mm-hmm. And he's been looking good in the league, too. He, Well, they didn't officially give him the assist on it, but he put a beautiful ball in in their win against Fiorentina. They are out of the bottom. They are out of relegation zone. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to Busio's credit, he's really advanced quickly in Serie A. We knew he had talent, but did he have the physicality? Did he have what it took to play at that level? It's clearly showing that he's at least can play at the bottom level of Serie A, because that's all the evidence that we have. But he's showing he's a player, and he played very well. Uh, now makes you wonder if he shouldn't have played in that Panama game. But we won't go back to the Panama game. That was a data game. Hopefully, Burhalter got a lot of data from that one that Acosta and Legette, uh may have leadership qualities, but they're not leaders on the field. They don't drive it out of the midfield. If uh, there's another window and there will be more where we need three games and you're going to rotate, 
you're going to have to put somebody in there. And I think it, it, one thing about seeing Busio out there doing this, if he can do this, then they can put McKinney uh, in with the B-list team for the rotation and get a little more drive or things into that. But uh, we'll follow that next month. That's a month away. But as we mentioned, it's Mexico and Jamaica in the next window. Uh, we talked about, do they need Pulisic? Do they need Reyna? Yes, they do. Uh, but without them, there's enough talent here. I was and, gonna, like, there's a reason why I said that. It's like, do we like? Is it really gonna be such a loss if, like, you know, Reyna's already out? If Pulisic needs to continue to rest, would it really be such a loss if we don't have him? Because it seems like this A team that we've been putting out is managing fine without him. I don't think that we would get a win against Mexico, but I think we could get one on Mexico and we could actually get three on Jamaica. Uh, against Mexico, what Pulisic and Reina do is the Mexico team will kind of focus on them. Let's not kid ourselves. Mexico is full of veterans. Their national team has played dozens, if not hundreds of games together. They know what they're going to do. They know how to control possession. You do need somebody to break that down. It will be a big loss unless people can step up. Yunus Musa can shows he can step up. Des did an extremely good job against Costa Rica, both defensively, not that much to do, and uh, offensively in this game. Uh, there's talent, there's bench for the U.S., and there's belief in the U.S. team that they can beat Mexico because they did twice this summer. But Mexico is going to come to the U.S. looking for revenge and looking to beat them down. And if they don't have Pulisic and they don't have Reyna, will they fire up even more and attack everyone and just shut everyone down? Or will they take it easy and think, oh, without them, we got these guys beat easy? That would be their mistake because there's enough talent on this U.S. team to beat them. Yeah, like I don't think that they would do that. The one take on the Pulisic Reyna bit is that those guys were little ball hogs when they were in there before. I'm not sure they trusted their teammates. Sitting out, maybe they do trust the teammates more now. Bold opinion. I don't think that I don't think Mexico takes it easy. I don't think they. I mean, they make them out attack a little bit more. But I think what's more than likely going to happen is. They may not be able to focus because they haven't, I mean, they've played maybe a couple of games against these guys that we're putting out there that they may just, they may go out there and say, okay, you know, this side is obviously where they're going to put all their strategy on this one side. And then someone on the other side steps up and one good cross. And next thing you know, it's one, it's one, one zero. And then at the end of the game, it's dos a cero and who knows what could happen. You know, it that's also a possibility because again, without Pulisic, without Reyna, we don't have, you know, one guy that is the guy. So they may have to spread the resources a little bit and get cut out. Who knows? I'd feel better if we only lost one of the two. Uh I think uh because Mexico's so talented, we got a lot of talent, but I think there'll be a talent overload. The other thing that worries me against Mexico well, there's a couple. One is the propensity for the U.S. to not play well at the start of the game. Mexico's going to come out, and if the U.S. isn't alert, they could be down 2-0 in the first 10 minutes. Easy against Mexico. Uh, one little mistake from anyone, and there seems to be propensities of tiny mistakes out there. Uh, 
these guys will hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, they'll eat you alive. One thing I want to say about when I said, like, you know, do we really need Pulisic? I'm not kidding myself. He's the best player we've got on the men's national team. And we've got a little over three weeks until the window opens. We can't count him out yet. And if he's available and is, you know, healthy and, you know, at least a little in form, why do you not play him? There's no reason to not play him. I'm simply saying it wouldn't be as much of a loss as we're all going to think it is if he's not available. Yeah, I think we're going a little hot take here. Uh, is this happens at a lot of teams when you've got a player like him or him and Reyna who could really do things down. Sometimes it's just get the ball to him and see if he can break something open. Uh, what the team needs is what we saw against Costa Rica. And of course, Costa Rica is not nearly as good as Mexico. Let's see how this goes. But uh, they're going to need to be able to move the ball and work as a team rather than a bunch of individual talents. Uh, that's, but definitely, if they all work as a team, you add Pulisic and Reina in the lineup, and they're and they're all working together as a unit, it's pretty devastating. And uh, the one window, okay. Second window, that gets a little tougher. So we'll see. Sure. Another thing is with the goalkeeper, goalkeeper controversy, I heard this somewhere, uh, is perhaps was uh, Stefan run out because Berhalter's planning on playing Stefan with his distribution skills against Mexico and his ability to come out for crosses and things like that. Panama took advantage of the U.S. They were doing their uh, corner kicks and free kicks directly at Turner, and Stefan the point in his favor is he's a little more in control of his box than Turner is. He's not the shot stopper by any means that uh, Turner is, but that's one thing he has. A little bit better distribution from Stefan. So we'll see. If the U.S. thinks they're going to be run over by Mexico uh, with possession, they might have Turner in there to do shot stopping. If they think they're going to be able to get out on the counter, uh, I think they can play more straight up, you might see Stefan. Uh, who knows? So it's it's champagne problems. I mean, Stefan's an extremely good goalkeeper. It's not so the first Turner. time. It's not the first time the U.S. has had two number ones. Tim Howard and Brad Guzan were like that. Howard just kept winning out, sometimes to the detriment, say Cuvo and Trinidad and Tobago four years ago, uh, and going back a long time. U.S. always has good goalkeepers, and we were a little afraid we didn't. Now we do. So. Anything else that we want to see coming up in the next World Cup qualifying window? I mean, for right now, I'm going to operate on not having Pulisic. No, I pretty much want to see the exact same lineup go out there. Both games. It's only a two-game window this time. Don't need to rotate. Run them out there. Continuity in the play. Let them get used to playing with each other. Let them get used to playing with the same lineup, provided nobody else gets hurt in the meantime as well. I do have one question, though. What is the time frame of this window? Is it a full week, so there will be a week in between games? Or or is it going to be you play a Wednesday game, you play a Saturday game? That's good a good question. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's a Wednesday game and a Saturday game or something like that, I would see a need for a little rotation, maybe like two or three guys, um, depending, you know, and that's not necessarily for saving legs so much as it's, you don't waste them for their club and also for strategy reasons. So I wouldn't expect the exact same lineup in this case, because we have a lot of guys that are all at the same level right now. 
we don't really have dead set starters, but we have guys that are better at certain things. I would, I would look to see some rotation based off of strategy reasons, um, from game to game. Uh, but no, I, I, outside of that, I would expect a lot of the same guys to start both games. It's, unless it's a, it's a Wednesday, Saturday. It's a, it's a Friday, Tuesday. It pretty much in line what old World Cup qualifying used to be. As long as no one's got a knock, you want to play somebody, you can you can easily roll out the same the same lineup for these two games. Absolutely. I think Sean's got a good point that like you could see some substitutions made for like tactical or strategy reasons. But it sounds like for the most part, if you wanted to just throw the same lineup out there both nights, you could. Yeah, and it's game state. Probably you want your A-listers out there to play most of the game against Mexico. Mm-hmm. Unless Pulisic does come in, but he's not fit, then he's a halftime substitute. I could also see the thought of if you get in the second half and he's not for, fit for a whole full game, you throw out somebody like him and Weah at a uh, tiring and more aged uh, Mexican defense and just scare the hell out of them with just sheer pace and directness out of those two players. Uh, verticality baby yes uh, it's working instead of rotating the players you get kind of a lineup throw them out there you can make your substitutions in game state if say in jamaica which i don't think will be as easy as everyone does if they're able to get michaela antonio and leon bailey coming from the premier league to come in their squad uh say they get rid of their coach in their system which isn't working well especially defensively it could be a little tougher at home than we're anticipating. I do think three points need to be done in Jamaica. Really have to be done. Especially because you can't guarantee even one against Mexico. No. And uh, without Pulisic and Reyna, uh, you have to realistically think you're fighting for a draw at home in this case. You, you should win. Could win. Very well could win. But without your two top players, that makes it a little tougher. you got to hedge your bets. But with the A lineup and no rotation against Jamaica, with more games under the belt, they should take that. Should take three from Jamaica. It's not going to be easy, but I definitely think the the only guarantee, well, not even guarantee, it's not a guarantee, but we're going to come away with points and we're going to still be in a spot to, qual- to qualify after this window. That's the most, most safe, thing i have to say about this next window and uh you know we lost a couple of home points uh to canada we didn't get the draw at panama but that away win at honduras kind of balances that out so we're kind of right where we need to be on points per game maybe just a touch ahead right now but we're second we're three points off of mexico we're a point ahead of canada and uh, we're sitting yeah. good right now. And the octagonal, as it goes along, as we get deeper in these three-game windows and some of these clubs drop out of contention, they're not going to care as much. They're not going to rotate, or they're going to rotate very heavily and bring in kids. So the chances, the the octagonal, as opposed to the he- the old hex, is it gives Mexico and the U.S. with talent and depth so much more uh, leniency to try to get into uh, into the World Cup as we had even four years ago. Yeah, I think that the wheels would really have to come off this window for it for like something to go that wrong. And I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last 
episode or not, but if we can secure home points and, you know, at, at least most of the points at, in home games for the rest of the windows, we're in. Uh, we don't even have to worry about away games. But if we lose a home game, then we do have to go out and get road points. More than just one. Points, plural, per game. Meaning we have to win road games. I don't, I don't think we're going to lose too many road points at this, at this point. Um, but who knows? It, it could come out that, you know, we have to pick up some road points because other teams go really hot. But as it stands, we're on a good pace. We just need to keep it. We don't need to go out and blow it up like the revolution or blowing up the, the MLS right now. You know, you could just steady the course, play like the rap is, and, you know, quietly secure yourself a spot in those playoffs. The only question I have is, what candidate throws in? Because Alfonso Davies had one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen in World Cup qualifying. Oh, my God. If you hadn't seen the video, he's way off of the picture. He's back deep in, uh, who was it? Was it Jamaica? Or Panama, actually. Uh, Yeah, that's right. He's deep. The ball goes down to the far end, sort of a clearance like in hockey. It's going out of bounds. The player's right around it on the sidelines. Alfonso Davies sprints 40 yards, gets there, picks the ball off of the touchline right before it can go out, or maybe it did, but picks it up before it gets out, cuts back in towards goal, jukes the guy, unleashes a shot, and scores. It went from nothing to a Canada goal in 13 seconds. It was yeah. unbelievable. Do it yourself, Davies. It he was spectacular. It on his own, all by himself. He put the team on his back. Yeah. Get off me, child's play. Spectacular stuff. And could you imagine that that happened from an MLS player? <laughs> I thought I thought our domestic league was supposed to be bad. It's almost like the retirement league moniker needs to just go away because the MLS is actually decent or something. Yeah. Nah, nah, it can't be that. He just got lucky. And uh, any other thoughts on the USMT before we start talking about MLS? No, I think that's a good enough transition. Let's, well, I think we should take a break first, give these listeners a chance to pause. And uh, we'll be back shortly. See you on the other side. Welcome back to the Soccer Capital Podcast. It's now time for us to do our weekly rundown of what's happening in MLS because St. Louis City SC is going to play in MLS. We need to know who we're going to be playing. And we, as always, we started off with our Sporting Kansas City Minute with Sean Campbell. So shout out to Shane and his lovely wife, Vicky. I hope we got that right. It was a big party the other night that we met at the St. Lilligans meeting. And if I'm wrong, please uh, reach out to us at Soccer Capital on uh, Twitter or SoccerCapital at gmail.com and correct us. We would gladly give you a mea culpa. But, uh, Sean, coming off the national team week and Busio showing in that game against Costa Rica, what's the good news about Sporting KC this week? Well, uh, this week, not exactly great news, but... It's 
you know, we lost two to one against the Whitecaps. Just going to put that out there. Um, however, we can take solace in the fact that uh, we have Mr. Johnny Russell on a on a you know scoring in consecutive games streak. I believe it's up to seven games now that he's scored in. And you love to see the captain out there showing what he's made of and be and being the leader on the field. It's great. Um, disappointing loss. We controlled most of the game and still somehow got the L. But you know what? It's okay. Vancouver's been pretty good in their in their home form the last few games, if you haven't noticed. Um, but outside of that, you know, again, Johnny Russell's doing very well. Um, and the only other thing we can talk about that's positive is the fact that most of the top teams this week dropped points. And that's across the league. Like, I think I I looked at it and the top four or five teams in the West lost. And the top four teams in the East all drew. So just top teams across the board. It's um, I believe the term in college football is a blood week. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but that's what we're looking at here. It was just, oh my goodness, a lot happened this weekend. And, uh, you know, Johnny Russell's having a great season, but is he now the best Scottish player in MLS? Because Ryan Gold of the Whitecaps is, for a midseason adjustment, has been fantastic. And he was, again, determinant in this game. Oh, I I'd still think that Johnny Russell's better. He's the better Scottish player, but that's just me. They used to play together in Dundee. Uh, they were on United. They were Dundee United, not Dundee FC. There's a big distinction there. Uh, I could be wrong. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they both used to play together at United. But still, I I think Johnny's the better player. He we just got beat out by a better team in that week. Yeah, and uh, Vermees uh, down two to one in the second half didn't make didn't make any second half adjustments. Made one at halftime. Maybe Cameron Duke could have helped. Uh, for oh yeah, no, I everything coming from the camp. yeah everything coming from the academy. Vermees is still a little hesitant to play the kids as much. Of course, he's got a lot on the you know at stake this season, being near the top of the Western Conference. You know, you got to have a balance between playing the kids and boosting the academy and just winning, baby. Yeah, no, with this with this uh, this run we put together this season, it's it's definitely all right. We've got to take the. I'm not saying playing the kids isn't taking it seriously, but we we've got to play the people that we know are going to win us games, and we have to know that they're going to help us win games. And Cam Duke. When he's come off the bench, it's he's been fantastic. But and I, I definitely think Vermees should have put Duke in that game and maybe even Harris, he should have gotten in there too. But uh I think right now, uh the last couple of weeks we haven't had Polito on the field and he's always a threat. Nothing against Kyrie Shelton. Kyrie Shelton is a fantastic number nine, but there's something about Polito being on the field that other teams just fear, and it's like going back a bit to another couple of segments ago. Um, they see him on the field, and it's like when they what Mexico might do if we play Pulisic. 
if he's available. They're going to shut him down, but then you also have to worry about Russell and Shallowy. And then you also have to worry about Kinda in the middle, just absolutely doing some magic and making things happen. So trying to shut down the major threat opens up the the other not as big of threats to then be bigger threats. So, you know, I, I trust I trust in Vermees. I trust PV. I'm part of Vermees Army, but I think we should have put Duke in there. Yep, probably so. And we do this because we know a lot of people in St. Louis have been following MLS, started supporting Sporting Kansas City, and they're still going to be beholding to that and still like Sporting Can- or, or St. Louis City SC when they start up with all their heart, be torn in those games, much like Sean. Uh, going off with what else happened, was a good thing or a bad thing that Sporting KC lost that game to Vancouver because Seattle went to Houston and got beat. Two to one. And uh, word is that uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz got injured on uh, lately and uh, might be in Peru trying to rehab from this and might not be available for a long time for Seattle as well. And uh, that will, it won't necessarily change the ratings at the top of the Western Conference, but it could play into it if they're both kind of out of form or don't make that first round of the playoffs though they'll probably be exempt from the first round, but it could go into it in the playoffs if they're not in form. That is absolutely a, that could be a very damning thing that they lose Rui Diaz. He's been so instrumental in their success this season. If they don't have him in the playoffs, it's a, oh, all bets are off now, buddy. Yeah, because Rui Diaz is historically perhaps the best in, uh, playoff player the MLS has ever seen. His numbers are astounding yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah, I did not hear about that, so that's uh, shop- shocking to me. It's a rumor. Caught it on Twitter from somebody associated with the club. We'll see how that goes. But uh, Houston, yeah, gets a win. Houston's on a little bit of roll after they've been, you know, excluded, politely declined an invitation to join the playoff race in MLS. Politely declined. Uh, They went on a historic 16-game winless run, and during that time, they never played perhaps their best attacking player in Darwin Quintero. So they get eliminated. Tab Ramos goes ahead and plays Darwin Quintero, and now they're a threat to any team that goes to play Houston. Uh, I know Darwin Quintero can't even pretend to give a thought about playing defense, and that was the problem with Adrian Heath at Minnesota United. It's a problem there in Houston. But at what point, if you're going winless 16 games in a row, do you not play your best attacking player? Um, Update, I have found the source. Per Brian Schmetzer, he's getting treatment in Peru. We'll see him on Thursday. Rui Diaz will be at least within the Seattle camp this week. You know who else is in the Seattle camp now? Jordan Morris is back for Seattle. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> that really puts a puts a wrench, a monkey wrench, in the, in the hopes of playoff performers all yeah. across the league. I don't oh, know how good he'll no. be coming back, but just if he said 80%, that, that's, that's a devastating that's, weapon to have on the wing with his ability to cut oh, in. Oh, 100%. Does that mean that maybe we might see him in upcoming windows? Uh, we'll see. I 
if if he gets up to speed and he can play, he would be a benefit. Everybody's yelling about Ariola. He does the work, but I mean, well, he took a knock in in warmups before the uh, Costa Rica game, and they had to sub, they they swapped him out for Wea. Maybe because they already ran his legs off, and his legs just pure fell off. I don't know, but if it could uh, be. A- a- Areola is danger adjacent. Uh, Jordan Morris is danger. That's the difference yes. between those guys coming in on the wing. But going back to uh, going back to that, you know, to Houston. Uh, yeah, no. Why have they not been playing Quintero? You know, when they play him, they seem to win. So it seems to be a why feeling that Tab Ramos is trying to develop a system, and since he won't play defense. Uh, he doesn't fit in that system, but it seems, seems kind of silly if you're just not winning for four months. Does that really help your development? Uh, no, would it help the development not of these people all. if you gave yourself a chance to win when winning mattered? So now you play him when winning doesn't matter. How's that help the development of the kids? Something to keep in mind for City as we go forward with the academy as well. Because Oh, it, it definitely helps to at, you know put the kids in while you're playing to win, even if you're level, but you've got your winning roster in there, sub the kids in, get them a feel for what a winning winning roster feels like so they can actually get experience of trying to play to win as opposed to, you know, now when you're down and out, you start throwing in your guys that are trying to win and you throw it because they're quote-unquote not in form. It, it, it's just a bad move by Tab Ramos to not play Quintero. Is, he should have played him way more than he did. Yeah. Uh, what can you say? It, you know, Quintero's now like 33, 34 years old. He's getting older. He's bounced around the league. He's truly exciting in the attack. You're never going to get defense out of him. If you're not going to play him and work around him, why even have him on the roster? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of those things where uh, there are certain times when you look at players and you want to build a team around them. And there are certain times where you look at players and you have to build a team around them. And if it's and if, you know, Cantero is one of those guys you have to build around, he's getting older, he's losing some pace, you know, why bring him in if you don't have the squad that supplements his abilities at this point? Yeah, and talk about a team that could use an attacking force that could possibly score them goals and help them push themselves even further. The Colorado Rapids lost to RSL this week, and they are really a goal scorer or a superb facilitator away from being much better than they are. What uh, Ryan Frazier is doing with that club is fantastic, but so is what uh, Pablo Mastriani is doing with RSL, given the fact they have no ownership and their head coach just up and quit in the middle of the season, suddenly to go be an assistant coach with Mets are in uh, Seattle. But then they come out and win the Rocky Mountain Cup. Yeah. So, you know, they technically, like, that's an actual trophy that they have a physical trophy for. So they've won silverware this year, which is good for them. Good I for them. RSL, but good for them, you know. And, uh, you know, they're not lighting up the league. Uh, they, But Mastriani, with, with the Rapids, played some of the most dismal, uh, defensive, counterattacking soccer there was in MLS. 
this RSL team is not doing that. They're attacking. Ah, uh, yes. And they have the propensity to... Yep. They have a propensity to get blown out in certain games, but they always, they're exciting and they've always got a chance to win if, if they don't overcommit too much on the offensive side. He's done a really good job there. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. They, they're surging up the table and they're what? Only four points out of a home advantage spot in the first round with what? Four matches to go. That's not insurmountable. It's doable, very doable. But if they make one misstep, you could get a team like the Whitecaps, who are also doing well recently, take your spot, and you might be out of the playoffs altogether. Krylak against uh, Gold. Krylak against Gold, uh, or more is it more Rusnak against Gold? Krylak against Brian White. That'd be actually an exciting playoff game. To be honest, I would love to see that. I'd love to see that. We'll stay in the West a little bit. Uh, The Galaxy uh, stopped their winless streak uh, with a 2-1 win over the surging Portland Timbers thanks to a very late Sasha Kleistian free kick. And I don't know if anybody saw this after the game. They did an interview with him. He was very emotional, talking about how much his career, how much he's put into it to get this chance when he's not starting and subbing on. And got very emotional because that morning, the morning of the game, he was coaching the U13s in the Galaxy Academy and had, in the game, players were upset that they hadn't started. And he was like, well, you get ready because if you get your chance, you need to give it your all. If I get my chance this game, I'm going to see if I can score a goal winner, a game winner. And he did. And he was very emotional about it. It's a very touching scene from a veteran. And very surprising to see that he's what he's brought with Greg Vanny to that team as a culture to where he's actually coaching uh, the kids in the academy. Very impressive. Uh, tip of my cap to uh, Sasha Kleschian and his mustache. He is doing <laughs> exactly what you expect a true leader to do. And he kind of did the same thing. uh, Well, a very similar thing when he was still getting called up to the national team, he would, I remember question as being a guy that like, when he's on the field, like he knows what to do. He's going to do his job and he's going to do it well. And you don't have to worry about question when he's playing. And the fact that he's instilling that into the kids in that academy, I'm very happy for that academy. Expect to see some great defenders coming out of uh, LA Galaxy's academy. And uh, let's not forget, despite Anderlecht playing in the uh, Dutch League, playing the Champions League and all that he did, he came over to the New York Red Bulls and uh, just lit up the league with two or three of the best seasons we've ever seen an assist man do just feeding BWP, Bradley Wright, Phillips, Phillips, all those goals. He was sensational for about two years. Oh, they gave us fits in Kansas City. And apparently the Red Bulls are now giving fits to New York City FC as they've won again in their citywide battle and uh, have actually knocked NY City FC uh, off of a playoff berth. There are people out there still rating City as one of the best teams in the league. They're now outside of the playoffs in the East, 
and they're tied on points with the Red Bulls that we had buried a month ago. They were dead. Jan Struber is doing a finally figured out what's going on with this club and has got them playing very, very well. Oh, yeah, they are definitely pushing for that spot. Um, and any chance you get to play against your your Darby rival three times in a month, yeah, you, you got to pick up points. And when New York City's coming out of those three games with seven points, that's right, seven points. That means NYC, NYCFC only has one. That's huge. And they w- went from a team that, was playing very good soccer to a team that might not make the playoffs being city all of a sudden it's, and that's, they just, there's something with city. They just all season long, just can't score goals. Can't get wins. Uh, they've got all the talent in the world, but are they, are they really built to actually win these games? It's a question they're in with a global, with the man city group. Are they being left behind in thoughts like that, just as we thought uh, the Red Bulls were being left behind by the Red Bull group. But uh, they're still fighting it out, but they're both still outside of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So much for global groups. They're they're both out of the playoffs at the moment, but when you look at it, the Red Bulls are on a streak. They're doing real well for themselves. But an interesting factoid, um, well, not factoid, but actual fact. Um, NYCFC. Okay, if you're a soccer fan and you're listening to this podcast, you've officially scored more goals than NYCFC has scored in the last 419 minutes of play. <laughs> it has been 419 minutes of soccer since NYCFC have scored a goal. That's how bad their run of play has been the last few weeks. 400. That's almost five whole games. That's 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 absurd. And they, they play such a beautiful game, but they just don't score goals and they just don't win games. Beautiful gets you close and close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades and nuclear warfare, folks. Another team that won again and came out of nowhere, sort of like the Red Bulls are doing. Uh, to get to fifth in the Eastern Conference is Atlanta United. But the Eastern Conference is so tight. There's only two points difference between Atlanta United in fifth place and the Red Bulls on goal differential in ninth. So that's still a toss-up. There's your MLS parity working. The West, also kind of tight. Uh, Only two points difference between RSL in fifth and Vancouver in eighth. And in the West, LAFC right now looks cooked. They're down in ninth place and off the pace. There's enough talent there, but they just, other than a little run, they're just not, they're just not able to score goals. And goals is what wins you games. Shocking, I know. Yeah, I know. I I think uh, you look at it and it's a little bit deceiving. But at the same time, it's really not. Um, LAFC, they're not showing great greatness on the field. They're showing us that they are the inconsistent LAFC that we know and and know. What's really gonna they're really gonna need to show their their themselves as being able to win in the do or die stage of this of this season. 
in order to make the playoffs, and it's not looking good for them, for sure. No, and they just seem lifeless. They just never seem to have kicked on as a as a team this year. And Bob Bradley's contract's up at the end of the season. Makes you wonder what's going to happen with him going forward. Lots of coaching vacancies out there. Lots of GM vacancies out there in MLS. Uh, some opportunities. We'll see how that goes. One thing this tells you, not that it's just tight at the bottom of the playoff race in MLS, but how there's too many teams in the playoffs in MLS. Do we really need all these teams that uh, can't separate themselves in the playoffs? When the League Cup gets running in 2023, you take that month off. Do you need all that time for the playoffs if you already got a cash cow like the League's Cup might prove to be? Maybe it's time to cut back on the playoffs a little bit and make it a little more special. But, you know, that doesn't make money and playoffs mean revenue in the U.S. sports world. So my thoughts are probably going to be greatly discounted elsewhere. Well, when it comes to playoffs, if you're going to cut them at this point in time, we're already, you know, trying to cut it as best we can with, you know, having only seven teams instead of eight teams because you kind of need a, it needs to be divisible by four per conference. Um, which means if we're going to cut it even further, we're ev- effectively going to the NFL level where you only have six teams, but the first two get a buy, which would be nice for us because we're, well, not us, but Sporting KC because we're second place, we'd get that buy. But that's that's the only way I see them cutting back on teams in the playoffs outside of going to just four per side per conference. Yeah, um, I just I just don't see that happening. And honestly, giving eight, even if we went back to eight teams per conference, it's just kind of the way that MLS has worked and it works well for what they're doing. It gets the viewership, it gives you extra games, it gives you all kinds of controversy that comes with, oh, but this call and this play and blah, blah, blah. It it gives you word of mouth praise too. So I honestly don't think we should cut it down any more than it already is. I, I, I think it's better as a money grab to keep it as half the teams make it and half the teams don't. Uh, uh, or it, my thought, it, you could do that. But every, I think everyone should do, and there's a growing cadre of people that do this, Supporter Shield should be, for the best record in the regular season, on par with MLS Cup. One's a cup match, one's the season. That can easily be done, and it's, but really that's in the minds of those who perceive the league. And the league wants to sell those sponsorships to the playoffs, so they're going to push that as the champions of the league. But in our are minds, you saying that are you saying that you we should have a, a champ uh, like a supporters shield match like no. the two best teams no in, have in a celebration league? an actual true celebration of who wins the supporters shield there doesn't a match oh. the supporters shield's the oh, best yeah. record in the regular season there's no match it just right, is right. who was the best team set up from the first day of the season to the last day of the season and who performed the best that's my personal thought, and I think it should be celebrated more, is what I'm saying. Well, yes, but at the same time, in, in, this, in, the, in the American 
sports political world, I guess, the sports world in America, winning something like that doesn't mean anything if you don't win playoffs. Look at hockey. The, the president's trophy is effectively a curse. Unless, of course, you're the lightning in the last couple of years. but <laughs> They're outliers. But yeah, like I've talked about it before. Yeah. The only thing that's even close to what the supporter shield is, is the president's trophy and the president's trophy is an albatross. You don't want to win it. Um, the Putting the supporter shield up on par with the winner of the MLS Cup is a very soccer centric idea. It's an idea that comes from Europe, right? Um, no, it comes from the rest of the world. Sure, but... It, let's all be honest in terms of soccer europe is the rest of the world it's a very it's a very eurocentric sport for worse and for worse brazil just called said f you <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah i know but like we everyone knows it to be true and like i said it's for worse and for worse um but the the mls playoffs are structured in a very north american way and that means the winner of the playoffs is the winner of the season best record be damned um i don't necessarily think that's right but that's the way it's perceived by anyone who's not a fairly hardcore soccer fan but on the other side of it mls given uh the broadcast networks the general fandom out there that perceives all of other american sports we're the redheaded stepchild but we're doing awfully good job with our little sport growing our own community that's different and that's exciting to a lot of people as well why not make us a little bit different than the other ones i don't see a problem with that unless you're looking for uh legitimacy from properties that aren't really invested in what you're doing and are invested into other properties that are different sports. And I definitely think that uh, in in this case, the the argument of playoffs or no, you know, should this shield be put on that level or not? Um, in the American sports culture, where tr we try in every league to make it so that any team could beat any team on any given day, and that's why the playoffs are so important because a lot of our sports fans across the board, doesn't matter if you follow MLS, NHL, NBA, or even the Premier League, you pride yourself on following a team that can beat any given team on any given day. They have that chance. And that's why I don't think the Shield will mean as will ever mean as much as winning the playoffs. I could because take your argument and say it makes it, it more important. I could take your exact same argument and argue the other side, to be honest, because it's day in and day out in a parity league. If you if you are absolutely the best in a parity league over 36 games, you're worthy of celebration. Right. But we like the fact that, oh, this team that's really good, we beat them. It's the underdog effect is what I'm going to call it. It's the underdog effect. Being able to squeak into the playoffs and then win a bunch of games against high quality teams makes you feel more pride in your team would it look at the look at the blues in 2019 as i say glory that's all i'm gonna say uh i will put this what if there was a playoff in 2015 in the premier league would we have lost the great fabulous glory one of the biggest glories in my sporting fandom life of watching less little leicester city win the premier league 
there was a playoff against those bigger teams. Who knows? But who knows? But that would have they did it over the whole thirty-eight games, not over a short course. That's even more That's impressive true. than doing it in a short course. It's six of one half of the other at this point. Yeah, they were I the underfunded the team. Yeah, I'm not saying one or the other, but I'm saying the shields should be should be more celebrated. Oh yes, definitely, especially with us MLS with us fans, MLS fans that claim to be trying to go to a more Euro style of football fandom, then support the trophy for that every major league in Europe supports winning the regular season. Like I, I, I can't tell you where the disconnect come from comes from, from the fandom. I can only give you op- options. So, yeah, I'm just trying to make MLS by keeping it equal terms. Doesn't separate us, makes us different than Europe and makes us different than other North American sports. It keeps our own little culture Different and exciting and new. The world needs something new and good. But I think we've beaten this conversation to death. And perhaps this show to death. I do have one more thing we need to mention because we have not mentioned this yet. How have we not talked about the fact that a team that's been mathematically eliminated from the playoffs held the revolution to one point? Oh, yeah, I missed that. And that Matt Turner... Matt had blown the shot that gave the draw to the fire. I guess all the fire needed was their second rebrand in two years. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt Doyle, who has been the biggest fan of Matt Turner, is now going, I'm not saying he's bad or having bad games, but he's slumping a little bit. Has the U.S. national team worn him down a little? Yeah, I, I don't think that it's happens. national team duty. I don't think it's national team duty. I think the fire just happened to have a good game when they didn't need to have a good game and no matter how you look at it they are making their mark on these playoffs whether they're in them or not now the fire have played uh have played well they just always been susceptible to really stupid defensive errors and then they get down and they don't win and they just bottom out there is talent on that team but I also still I, was a, that was another shocker of the weekend. Yes, I also want to say, how can you say from a one shot sample size that somebody's slumping? <laughs> uh, I didn't think he had a particularly good showing against Panama. I thought he showed some hesitancy on some of those corner kicks and a couple other plays, and he's been susceptible to a couple other shots that earlier in the year would have happened as well here lately for the Revolution. He's played a lot of games he's not used to. He's new to all this. It happens. He's human. Take a look at it. Judge for yourselves. That's all I'm saying. That's fair. But is there anything more from anyone? That's all I got. All I got. Let's call it a wrap. I am your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean Campbell. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now.